Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Tahiri, and Tahiri was in a relationship with a controlling spiritual abuser. It's a story of facades, sexual assault, addiction, blame shifting, and guilt by association. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Tahiri. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. And if you want to be a guest like Tahiri is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And we can't have enough stories, so please do send those in. And a content warning for this episode as we do discuss uh, sexual assault in this episode on a couple of, of occasions as well as physical abuse in this episode. So there is your content warning there. And this episode today you are about to hear has actually been in the vault for about three years, almost three years now. It was on the shorter end at the time, and we weren't putting out shorter episodes at that time. Uh, but now our Friday episodes are shorter, so we decided that this week we're going to put this episode out. And it's not a conventional episode how we do things now when it comes to our survivor stories. And, you know, this story, it's a story of abuse, but it's also a story of finding out that your abuser is also a sexual predator and taking advantage of other people all under your nose and Tahiri had to navigate the situation where she's feeling guilty by association, feeling bad for the other people, but also dealing with trying to figure out your own stuff and what's going on with you and how you're dealing with, you know, being abused yourself, but also this whole situation of what's real, like what has actually happened here. And a big thank you to Tahiri for doing this with us almost three years ago. And we've also done our best to make the audio as good as possible from where it was almost three years ago. And just a really big thank you to Tahiri uh, for being here on, on that day. And now I'm going to get it out of my way and your way. Tahiri, the floor is now yours. Okay, well, thank you. Um, I'm 37 years old, I'm divorced, have two kids. Um, I work as a paramedic and, um, I live a pretty normal life. Um, nothing really major. Um, growing up, um, I'm a military brat. 
So, um, grew up mostly overseas, and then um, I moved over here to the States when I was six. And um, my childhood was pretty decent. Um, you know, I had, like, schooling when I was in middle school, but, you know, it wasn't anything major. Um, I joined the military when I was 18, and then uh, spent some time there until I had my oldest daughter. And then um, after I got out, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, um, got into the medical field. It's pretty much it from there. So some of the other things you mentioned to me in our correspondence was that you were an achiever. You had a bit of a perfectionist streak in you. You really didn't like to fail. And you also mentioned that because of military instruction your whole entire life, part of that achiever in you had a mix of doing uh, what you were told or, or following or complying with authority figures which when you're going to be dealing with someone who's a spiritual abuser, you're, you're kind of going to be going along with things or giving them the benefit of the doubt. And then also with you being in the military your whole entire life, uh, you were a military brat, like you said. You also told me that you really didn't have a sense of belonging because you were always moving. You didn't really have lots of childhood friends or roots, and you were always being uprooted. So it's something that you wanted and that you were also, at the time, getting more into spirituality, uh, spiritual religion, specifically exploring African traditional religions and those communities that those religious communities presented to you as like a deeper sense of understanding the world, each other, and more of just a sense of belonging. You know, you're looking for the sense of belonging. That was a really big thing for you. And you have, as you mentioned, you, you have uh, kids with uh, a previous relationship, a marriage that did not work out, and that kind of sense of belonging was was part of it. So this is something that you really were looking for. And eventually you meet the person that would become the abuser in your life. And in the life of many people, this person would become an abuser. So walk us through this. Um, I actually met him online. Um, I want to say it was 2016, but we did not actively start speaking to each other until 2018. So, um, 2018, he started uh, messaging me because he had only been following me on Facebook for a while. And um, he was a very prominent leader in the spiritual community. Um, he is a priest in a religion called Palomayalde. And he's also in another religion called Lukami. And those are African traditional religions. So um, I followed his platform because he was very uh, knowledgeable about those traditions. And I've been on a spiritual journey for a while. So a lot of the things he would post, you know, it would make me very curious. And then um, 2018 is when he started sending me personal messages on Facebook. And he was older than me, so I really didn't have any interest at the time. And I was already in a relationship with somebody. 
So when he initially sent me a message, I just kind of shrugged it off. I just kind of laughed it off or whatever. And then, um, so I, I didn't think anything of it. Um, over the next few months, he would send me messages asking if I was single periodically. And, and you know, of course, I wasn't. Well, um, things ended up not working out between me and the man I was dating at the time. And he used that as an opportunity to try and get closer to me. So um, he flew out here to Atlanta to give a few classes um, about his spiritual path. And he invited me to a few of them. So I went and that is where we started interacting with each other offline for the first time. And he was very charming, perfect gentleman. Um, he was, he seemed like he was the total package and he's not normally somebody that I would go for, but he and I, we, we ended up having a connection. He lived in another state at the time. So once he left Atlanta, we maintained contact online. We would video chat and that was our way of keeping in touch. And then, um, he let me know that he wanted to try a long-distance relationship. And I agreed to it. This was probably, I want to say, March of 2019. And then um, that's when we started getting really close. And that he was looking for somebody to settle down with. He was looking for a wife. So me, I was like, okay, let's just see where things go. So then... um. Over the course of that year, we would travel back and forth to see each other. Um, it was quite frequent. So I really didn't think that I had anything to worry about as far as, you know, whether or not he would cheat on me or anything like that. Like we had open communication with each other at all times. He would always keep in touch with me while I was at work and he was always able to answer his phone whenever. So I really didn't think anything of it. So um, we did the long distance relationship for a year. Um, he asked me to marry him. I agreed to it. And um, he initially wanted me to move out there to where he was. But I have children from a previous marriage. So that was not an option. So eventually he decided to move out here where I am and um due to me being a military veteran I secured the VA loan looked for a house and he put the down payment on it and he moved out here in December of 2019 so right here you have a full year of everything being fantastic being long distance really helps with the facade that the abuser has. And we've heard this so many times in our survivor stories that long distance can really mask a lot of things that you don't see. And it's it's possible that your relationship might not have lasted as long as it did if you had actually been in the same town. But this long distance really uh, does mask these things. And with you, you have good times for a whole year. And I know this is my opinion, but when you have a whole year of, you know, really good things with a partner, 
you are most likely going to give benefits of the doubt, etc. If little things start to creep up like boundary violations, disrespect or controlling behaviors, the good at this point is outweighing the bad. So for those of you listening who were never in abuse ever and you're just trying to understand how powerful that can be, it's just not what we call love bombing. You know, there's love bombing that happens a lot at the beginning of these relationships to really draw you in. But there's also, in a lot of cases, these good times that can last a very, very long time. And, you know, when these things happen for a very long time, when that one thing kind of pops up or maybe a couple more things start popping up that could be boundary violations and things along those lines, you know, you can always hark back to those good times. An abuse victim or survivor might always hark back to those good times or that things will change or maybe the abuser is stressed and, and once this is over, you know, we'll get through this and things will normalize. You know, that's a big thing for someone who is an abuse uh, survivor or abuse victim. And for those of you who aren't in abuse, you know, those are some of the things that uh, are happening with an actual uh, victim survivor. Um, but I've gone off on a little bit of diatribe there, but I thought it was just a really good spot to just hammer that home. So now we're just going to go back to Tahiri and let's hear what happens, you know, once the abuser that's in your life makes the move to finally uh, live with you. And when he moved out here, that's when I really started seeing what it was that he was about. Because over the course of our longest relationship, I really did not see too many signs. But when he moved here, it just seems like a switch was flipped. He called himself a dom. And those of you in the BDSM community, you guys know what a dom is. And I didn't know what that was at the time and um he made it seem like it was a way for him to be in control over everything at all times but i would later find out that that's not what that's not how that goes so i was actually curious about this and look this up when it comes to the responsibilities of a dom and what our misconceptions were. So, you know, part of the responsibilities of a dom is to ensure that the other person in the relationship, that their needs are met. Uh, it's up to them to ensure that the other person in the relationship is cared for. It's up to the dom to make sure that there is good communication. And also on this list of responsibilities that I found for a dom is that they take responsibility for their actions. But these principles are the ones that really stood out to me because for a dom, there is supposed to be care. You know, there are these non-narcissistic trait element things where there's uh, responsibility that is actually taken. These elements are involved. Uh, so even though, you know, a dom lifestyle is uh, part of a hierarchy, there are these levels in here or responsibilities of uh, cares and needing and needs being met and responsibilities. So I just wanted to, to really point that out. And then, you know, let's go back to uh, what Tahiri was saying here. So he was very demanding, very controlling. Um, he was not verbally abusive initially. Um, 
it was just mainly him wanting to know at all times who I was talking to, who was texting me, who was just calling me. Um, there was an incident where he didn't like something that I was wearing and he accused me of trying to entice other men. I didn't realize this at the time, but it was not something that um, should have been going on. And I'd never really experienced that before. So um, I started kind of closing myself off to people. Um, my family started noticing a change in me. Um, certain friends he didn't want me speaking to anymore. And um, it just got really, really difficult. Um, I found out he had a drinking problem. Um, he was still getting classes while he was here. And um, he wasn't really a drinker when we were alone in the house. It was mostly when people would come over or when we were in a social setting and he was giving his classes. He would get drunk to the point where he didn't know what he was doing, where he would be very uh, nasty, um, inappropriate, very rude. And um, he's also a violent drunk. And there were a few times where I would try to help him and he would start fighting me right there. And I would simply just be trying to help them to get up the stairs. I told him multiple times about how dangerous his drinking was. Um, because of his medical history, drinking is dangerous for him. And I tried to tell him about it. And he would always yell at me or excuse me if I didn't take control of him. So here's a moment of time where the abuser is being controlling and he's flipping things around on you and telling you that you are the one that is controlling. So he's like flipping it around and blame shifting. And you told me that his drinking really masked the abuse or, or gave an excuse for the abuse. And now these things are being flipped around on you. So it's harder really to decipher as you're focusing on what's wrong with you instead of what they have done and, and how they're acting. So from here, this is where you told me that spiritual abuse begins. So walk us through this. Um, the spiritual abuse came in when um, he started uh, consulting students here in my house. And he brought a lot of people around that he shouldn't have. And I told him multiple times how uncomfortable it made me feel. And um, there were a few times where I told him that I didn't feel comfortable with him consulting with women with me not being home. Just like he told me he didn't feel comfortable with me having any male friends over with him not being home. And that was supposed to be our agreement. Um, he made me feel like I had to be in that religion in order to be with him. Um, and I would quickly learn that that was not the religion for me. There were people involved who, um, was supposed to initiate me into the religion, but then I found out that this person's credentials were not, um, legitimate. Um, this information got leaked to Facebook and a lot of people were very upset 
um, they started rumors about me. They started rumors about him. And what I didn't know at the time is that type of things were being said about him. I really was not aware of For me, the bullying got so bad that I ended up leaving social media. So I didn't know. Um, people started sending me text messages of, of different rumors that were going around about him, and I saw my name in some of them. And the rumors going around were that he had sexually assaulted multiple women in this religion. And um, when I confronted him about the information I was given, he told me that his exes were involved, that they were jealous, and not to think anything of it. These people tried to contact DFAX and have my children taken away. Um, I wanted to clear my name, but he told me to keep my mouth shut to just let it go. Um, I had a nervous breakdown. He didn't really do much. Um, he checked on me maybe a couple of times. I wanted to go stay with my parents. And then um, I got into this really bad state of depression because it was just mostly me not knowing exactly what it was that was going on. And I would always ask him, I said, well, is it something maybe you said or did that was taken out of context? And I would ask him, what did you do? And he would always tell me that he was innocent. Um, his drinking got more out of control. Um, one night he did drink to the point where he started verbally abusing me. He told me I was worthless. He told me I was useless. And then, um, as I was trying to help him upstairs, he, he actually did hit me. And then, um, I told him that if he were to hit me again, that I was going to call the police. I went upstairs and um, one of the guest rooms and I walked myself in there. And um, he sobered up a few hours later and then um, I told him what he did. He started begging me for forgiveness and he promised never to drink again. And then um, as far as I knew, he didn't um, for the remainder of our relationship. What led to finally me figuring out what really was the truth and really what was not is um, when I caught him in a lie um, about his interactions with a certain woman. And it was a blatant lie. I had the evidence right there in front of me. Um, he attempted to gaslight me. And I told him, I said, okay, if you can't be honest with me, then we don't need to be together anymore. I said that this relationship is over. You need to pack your things and you need to figure out somewhere to live. So he was really upset with me. Um, he felt like I was ending the relationship for no reason. While he was packing his things, I went to my parents' house. And while I was there, I just started thinking to myself, I said, if he's willing to hide something like that, what else is he hiding? I found out that people had made blog pages about us on Facebook. So I went on Facebook, and then I started looking through these blog pages, and of course, I saw the things that were posted about me. But then um, I came across an audio clip, and it was an interview between a student of his 
and another priest in the community. And it was 30 minutes long. Initially, I did not want to listen to it, but something inside of me was like, you really need to listen to this. I listened to the whole thing, and the woman described how she came over to my home to um, receive spiritual guidance from him. She talked about how he got drunk and um, tried to force her to have oil sex. Um, she talked about how she realized I wasn't there. Um, there were certain things that she mentioned where I knew for a fact that her story was true. And um, by the time I got done listening to that audio, I saw red. I've never been so angry in my life. I called my mother downstairs. I explained to her what was going on. And um, I called him immediately. And I confronted him. And he immediately switched to crying. He told me he was an alcoholic, that he wanted to kill himself, and that he had nothing left to live for, and that he wanted to die. But I didn't care. I told him that he had 48 hours to leave. And um, that he needed to pack his things and leave immediately. But it would end up taking about a week. Um, over the course of that week, he proceeded to play mind games with me. Um, he would go from crying and begging and forgiveness to pretty much getting mad at me for choosing to end the relationship. Um there was the day before he left where he cornered me in my bedroom and he tried to force himself out of me sexually. Um, I was able to get him off. And then I went to my parents' house and I stayed there for a few hours. And as it started getting later, I decided to go back and just grab a bag and go right back to my parents' house and stay. He and I got into a fight. He told me that um, he regretted the two years he was with me. He told me that I was dead to him and that he was going to sue me for all the money he put into the house and the down payment. Um, he said he was going to sue me for the mortgage he had paid over the course of the year he was here. And um, obviously, I was very upset. I left again, went to my parents' house, and I stayed there for the rest of the night. Um, the next day, um, he, told, he sent me a text message that he would be gone by noon. So um, once noon rolled around, I went in my house, and my house was completely in shambles. He had left garbage all over the place. There were feces all over the floor. Um, he left my house for the complete disaster. And um, he kept sending me text messages talking about how sorry he was. It really didn't do anything to change my mind. And when he realized that, um, the text messages got a little more sinister. Um, he threatened to heck my ex-boyfriend, the man I was with before him. He accused me of leaving him to get back with him, which is not true. Um, he called me a whore. Um, he made it several different threats. I ended up blocking his number, and he continued to try to harass me from different numbers and hiding his number and calls 
an unknown number. Like he was harassing me for a while. Um, currently, he's not um, doing that. That um, there are days where I do worry about him resurfacing. Um, as far as I know, he's no longer in the same state as me. He's gone. But um, recovering has definitely been a struggle. I'm having to see a therapist. And uh, I struggle with a lot of anger. Um, I have trust issues. Um, definitely have a form of PTSD. And um, I've just been taking it one day at a time. And that's pretty much all I can do. So you wrote to me how terrible you feel for the people that were sexually abused and had to go through all these abusive situations with your ex. But there's also this element of people who don't know you and you being implicated in the abuse, which adds to a lot of you know the abuse that you're going through at the same time. You're essentially in a way, a bit of his cover, like, you know, the facade uh, of what's happening. Uh, he's giving people stories that your home is safe and that you are there and that makes them feel safe for them to come over. You know, he's married, so he must be safe. And, you know, in, in this predator thinking, he's kind of created a relationship with you and used you as this cover to do these predatory things, which is just really reprehensible. So I've heard many stories of abusers. We've heard a lot of survivor stories where sometimes an abuser will keep their ex around as a friend. You know, a lot of times we hear stories where the ex is always terrible or, or this, that, or the other, but sometimes exes will be kept around as friends as a way to show that they are a good person. And those exes are really just covers in a lot of ways. And to hear you are being used here in the same way for someone that is not just an abuser, but like a real predator. And your ex is really using you in this way, and they're the sexual predator, and that's a really tough thing to wrap your head around and to not feel sickened about it, to be used in that way. And then on the flip side, while all of these accusations are happening, you know, many spouses will have the reaction of defending or listening to their spouse. You know, they don't want to believe what is going on is true. And that's just a natural reaction that there's going to be a denial. You don't want to look at these things that are going on. And even though you might have this lingering feeling that this could be true, but again, here you're dealing with you know, a truth teller and someone who's a spiritual leader and a full year where, where, where things were, were, were normal, even though these abusive things are going on to you at the same time as well. So these things are going on right underneath your nose. So besides all the terrible things that have happened to you, you know, how are you able to process what has happened and other people thinking that you're complicit to the abuse, you know, that has to be something you're, you're trying to figure out how to process that because you are dealing with the abuse partly in what happened to you, but you're also dealing with the world that you were living in that might not have been real. So you're, you're, you're also dealing with that and you're also dealing with being seen as a, a bad person 
as well. So can you really discuss your, I mean, your overall thoughts on everything that I just said? To me, that is the most difficult thing for me to accept about all of this because I'm finding out that a lot of things happened while I was either at work or with my children. Um, people thought I had my children in danger, but in all actuality, I kept my children with um, my um, ex-husband or my parents a good majority of last year because due to the nature of my job, I didn't want to risk bringing COVID home in. So my children were not around for a lot of different things that happened. So. I'm finding out that a lot of the stuff that he did happened when I was out just spending time with my children or when I was at work. And at the time, I was working 14-hour shifts on an ambulance, and I was getting off two to three hours late. So that's a lot of time where anything could have happened. So me hearing that this stuff happened and people putting my name into it, I'm like, wait a minute. You know, I wasn't around for any of this stuff. Um, I was very disgusted once the truth came out. And then um, recently I was given a piece of information that indicated that he actually tried to assault somebody while I was in the house, but I was in a different part of the house. So that makes it even more scary because it was literally right there in front of me and I had no clue. So after you found out everything, you mentioned the word there, disgust and how you were feeling. But did you feel the need to defend yourself? You know, many people would want to do this. You know, what was your process on this? I really did not think there would be any any purpose of me defending myself online because I didn't think me coming out and telling my side of things would do any good. My main concern was getting him out of my house and getting him far away from me as possible. That was my initial concern. So you mentioned PTSD earlier. What are the biggest things that are hindering you when it comes to the PTSD? Um, I'll just have flashbacks of um, the certain things that he said. Um, I'll have flashbacks of from when I had my nervous breakdown. And um, I'm, I've been doing my best to cope with it. When I have something like that, I just have to take a moment and realize that that's something that had already happened and to bring myself back in the present moment and realize that I am safe and that that's not going on around me anymore. And do you have any words of wisdom for everyone who's listening? Um, my words of advice would be to pay attention to the signs. Um, sometimes they're not so blatantly obvious, but once you start noticing a pattern, that's when you need to start paying attention. Um, never let somebody try to dominate you in the name of any religion. And that's basically what he did. He used his religion to manipulate me. He used his religion to prey upon other people. Um, and people like that are very dangerous. Well, Tahiri, I really want to thank you for being our guest here today and sharing your story. You know, there's a lot of different feelings mixed up in your story, you know, because you were abused and you were with someone who was using you as this 
cover to abuse other people and they were a real predator and you know just trying to figure out your life going forward and and it's a a difficult thing to wrap your your head around i just want to thank you for being here with us today and sharing everything and just a big thank you for uh being here today thank you Well, thank you to Hiri once again for being here. And if you want to be a guest like Tahiri was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And if you are someone that needs support, we here at Narcissist Apocalypse have a support group. So at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. It is a wonderful group of people on there, so you can share your experiences with everyone on there, make friends too. So if you need support, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're dealing with. They have every phone number and email address and web address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you're in. DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource and organization. So if you need extra support, please go visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. And we have a new friend of the show called Shelter Movers. And Shelter Movers can be found at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors of domestic violence transition to a better and safer life and is a volunteer organization, a donor-supported charitable organization as well. It is currently only in Canada, but they're looking to move into the United States. And what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of domestic violence. They help you to safety and get all of your things out of your home and into storage all of your belongings into storage and they can do this for your pets and livestock too it is a wonderful organization so if you need help from them or just want to donate to them please do go to sheltermovers.com and that is it for today's survivor story so for myself and tahiri we hope you have a good night <laughs>